There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We're lawyers, mothers, and co-hosts of the bipartisan podcast, Pantsuit Politics. We have more in common than divides us. In a world that defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely. The choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us this week for The Nuanced Life. We are doing something a little different today. We're going to deviate from our normal format because we want to share the episode that we recorded to be this month's bonus episode about Jenny O'Dell's fantastic book, How to Do Nothing. And so without further ado, here is that conversation. I think this book is a good example of how often the subtitle is more valuable than the title of the book, because Mm -hmm. the subtitle of this book by Jenny O'Dell, who's an artist, is Resisting the Attention Economy. Resisting of the Attention Economy sounds like a very different book than How to Do Nothing, and Mm. it is much more accurate. If you see this beautiful book with flowers on it in a bookstore and think you're going to get it and it's going to be like, here's how you can meditate every day. Nope. Nope, not what you're getting here. Well, see, I think even the subtitle is hard um, because I've read a lot of books about the attention economy and dealing with the attention economy. I've read both of Cal Newport's books. I've read, I'm trying to think of some other, there's another one I was trying to think of the other day. Oh, the Tech Shabbat book, which I'm blanking on right now, 24-6. It's because it's about going offline one day a week. Okay, so I've read those and they're like, way more practical and analytical. This book is very philosophical, I would say. Way more philosophical than I expected it to be. I mean, look, I think this book highlights the importance of hearing from a diverse group of people and how infrequently we hear from an artist in long form. Jenny O'Dell is a woman of color. There, She's very young. There are so many things that make this book unlike all of the books in that attention economy space. And I think that highlight why it's important. She is not a linear thinker. So as you're kind of coming through this book, it takes a lot of curves. We're like, I did not know that's where we were going next. But okay, I'm here for it. I thought it was a really beautiful book. I thought it was a very profound piece of advocacy I also don't really know how to tell anyone what it's about. So the attention economy, which is now a part of our vernacular, I would say. We're a part of a certain segment of the population's vernacular. That's just really fascinating to me. I remember the moment, the sort of aha moment where I realized, oh, my God, these giant corporations are fighting for attention. The literal minutes of our lives, seconds of our lives, in the same way these big multinational food corporations used to fight for our calories. And we can add calories to our diet to to bad effect, but we can do it. We cannot add minutes to our lives. And like it was a very kind of scary thought for me. Like, what does that mean? What does it mean 
when I am so outmatched in the battle for the very, like, focus, energy, attention of my life is at play here. And I think it is really important to not just, you know, Anne Helen Peterson has written so beautifully in her burnout article about how so often in sort of capitalism we make, and particularly where we are right now as a culture, we make everything about this battle for productivity. And I think in this book in particular, and in specific segments, but overall, she does such a good job of saying like, hey, look, we're not going to do that to this, right? We're not going to just say who can be the most productive and efficient at battling the attention economy. You know what I mean? Like, ooh, let's hack our resistance to the attention economy. Like, that's not what we're going for here. I thought that part in particular, like her sort of philosophical, like, let's wait, let's back up, let's back up. Because she spends a lot of time, particularly in the beginning of the book, talking about opting out and like, what does that mean? And does it work? And if we just go on, you know, social media free retreats, what is that going to do? And follows the story of this guy that founded one and then just ended ended up burned out and sucked into that sort of productivity, hamster wheel, capitalist achievement thing, too. And so I just thought she had such a good outlook and like the way she was sort of formulating herself to this problem as opposed to how do we as individuals hack this problem instead she was very much like what does this mean where are we going what do we want to do I just I really liked that whole like her whole approach even though it is it's a little woo-woo and hard to follow at places well there's nothing binary in this book And Mm -hmm. I really like that, and I think we need a lot more of it, and I think we are spectacularly bad at it. So you are reading along, and you're kind of following that sense of, oh, my gosh, even my leisure is being monetized Mm -hmm. by Facebook, by Instagram, by Twitter, by all my online activity being measured in some way and sold to advertisers and data collected. And then she's like, but look. Just deleting your Facebook account is performative. Mm. It's privileged. It doesn't do so anything. True. And so it's you, you're you never really led to an easy answer on anything. And I appreciate that so much. And I think that is the kind of wisdom that we need more of. I wonder if that wisdom is rooted in her so much because of her observations in nature. You know, we just recorded our Pansy Politics episode on the the fires in Australia. And in that research, I kept feeling struck by, like, how some fires are important to the ecosystem, but we've exceeded that threshold. So it's not like no fires or all fires. (laughs) It's this Mm -hmm. really delicate place in between. And there is an interconnectedness to everything that happens based on finding that balance. And I think that's what she's advocating for here. It's not the digital world is crap. She's a digital artist. It's we're allowing it to come out of a healthy range. And our individual choices matter, and they also are not dispositive. And so we've got to look at the whole and the parts simultaneously. The book is covered in beautiful flowers because she begins the book by talking about her time in a local rose garden. And she spends a lot of time on, like, her physical presence in the natural world, but, like, her local natural world, which I thought was a really interesting component she layers onto this. Because you do hear a lot about 
getting outdoors as the cure to burnout. And like you listened to an Audible original and it was like, what was it about? About the three-day effect, that if you spend three days in nature, it actually changes your brain chemistry in really positive ways. And I really like, like, I think that's really important. And I think that's like the most basic beginning is like go outdoors. And I love that she layered this whole additional complexity on top of it of don't just, you know, take a vacation to the beach or to the mountains and think you're cured. Let's talk about your actual natural environment where you live. So she's in Oakland, like, and it's true, this person who's you know, spent a lot of my youth in California, including Northern California near Oakland, like areas like that, you forget have ecosystems. Like there are creeks in Oakland running near Apple headquarters. Who knew? You know, like, and what does the water table look like? And what do the birds look like? And how do they interact? And what role do we play in their physical environment? And just orienting yourself and your actual regional ecosystem in which you live, I thought was such an interesting component as opposed to, again, hack the attention economy by going for a hike. Yeah. I think it all relates to this beautiful I vow versus I it that she describes Mm -hmm. in the book. So she talks about our tendency to view everything other than ourselves as an object that we sort of interact with, but it only exists as part of our experience um, instead of as a thing, as a as a being that exists on its own, that, that views you as just a part of its experience, right? And so she said that she tries to think of everything not as I, it, but as I, thou, and to be in relationship with the birds on her walk every day. Um, and... And again, that might sound a little woo-woo, but as you follow it along, I mean, it's really just like some perspective on who we are as Mm -hmm. beings and seeing ourselves as part of that ecosystem. You know, it's not just that there is a creek behind my house. It's that I have a relationship with that creek. I affect it and it affects me. It's not scenery for my human journey. And the more she kind of digs at that throughout this book, the more compelling I find it. Well, I think that why both of us connected so much with this book is because that approach is a thread that connects so much of what we talk about on Pantsuit Politics, in particular in The Nuanced Life, and just, you know, sort of overall philosophy. I think it started when we began the podcast with a desire for nuance, and it progressed into a lot of conversations about consumerism and consumption and why do we orient ourselves towards everything as that's, you know, those conversations about consumerism were definitely I, it versus I, thou. You know, if if every politician is just something we consume or check off or every person of the opposing party is just a thing to disagree with, not a human being with complexities just like ours. I think you can see it in our conversations about, including in this month's bonus episode on fancy politics, about, you know, binary versus individual interest in quantum mechanics and spiral dynamics and the idea that, hey, maybe circles are a better orientation to things than straight lines and 
you know, the, I mean, I know it sounds woo-woo. It sounds really woo-woo. I like woo-woo personally because I grew up watching Oprah. But I think that, you know, her sort of picking up all those threads that you and I have been pulling at and saying, you know, why is everything oriented this way? Why is everything transactional and win-lose and forward-backwards, right-wrong, black-white, and just wanting to shake loose of that? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You know, here's what I'm thinking. Maybe we should commit to stop describing things like this as woo-woo because... Really, the reason that it's important for us to do commemorations on The Nuanced Life is because these events don't receive attention wholly because they don't lead to buying decisions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The reason that weddings and birthdays and funerals get all the play is because there are very big purchasing decisions made around those things. And there are not purchasing decisions made around the kinds of events that we talk about on The Nuanced Life, but that does not make those events less significant. And I think that by believing and kind of accepting, and I know this isn't what we mean. We both use woo-woo a lot to describe stuff. And I mean, but I think that that describing it in that way is almost accepting the premise that anything non-transactional is somehow strange or a leap of what our brains are capable of. And that's just not true. I mean, we are here as human beings to wrestle with the non-transactional stuff. I I doubt that the pyramids or Stonehenge or any of the, the real wonders that humanity has created had anything to do with buying and selling. Maybe they did. But we've kind of taken the box and allowed ourselves to stay in it where everything is is about exchange. And I'm kind of ready to say, like, I am not going to act like I am a witch because I think it's important to talk about why we're here and how we relate to each other and the forces that influence all of that. Well, and think about births and weddings and deaths are important because and have been important throughout the entirety of human history not because they revolved around consumption, which we have sort of pushed them towards, but because they related to how we were connected or disconnected from one another and how important that was and how that circle of connection, when it broke or when it formed a new circle, was essential to what we were here to do. And you know, not to be, not to embrace my socialist instincts, which 
aren't very far below the surface. What capitalism does is say, no, what's really important is not your connection to one another, but your connection to the economy, right? To your connection to currency and transactions. And I think so much about even with the nuanced life and commemorations and when we want to connect to something deeper and pay attention to those other things, how quickly the instinct is to do that through the economy. How quickly the instinct is, oh, this is important too. What can I buy to celebrate it? How can I go out and eat and celebrate it? How can I, you know what I mean? Like even with stuff when we're trying to push that to the forefront and recognize it and emphasize it, how ingrained it is to lean on purchasing and like participating in that economy to do that. And I mean, I think that's just as true with the attention economy. It's just instead of money changing hands, the money is changing hands based on our actual attention, the likes, the the transaction of a interaction on a post of a share of a like of a comment of a retweet. And how it's it's still that same linear transaction. Even though I, I think the internet and the attention economy grew and flourished in the beginning because it offered a way for human beings to connect outside that capitalistic structure. It just didn't take it long to be infiltrated. We will be right back after this short message from our sponsor. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Is there something interfering with your happiness or that's preventing you from achieving your goals? This time of year, you know, we're all really focused in on here's what I wanted to do this year. And I think we're getting into the messy end of January where it's easy to start losing your way with those goals. And it's a good time to kind of assess whether you need some support in your life. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Visit BetterHelp.com NL. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 700,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for our listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com NL. Part of it is that is the permission that we have. 
you know, we have permission mm. to go buy something. And we have permission to tailor our purchasing a little bit more than we have permission to tailor any other kind of experience of something significant. Mm-hmm. I went to a visitation for someone who died extremely young and extremely tragically a couple of weeks ago. It was so difficult for everyone in the room. And it was one of those circumstances where I kept looking around at people just in the throes of shock and grief who were trying to stand and greet this long line of people. And I thought, who is this for exactly? Mm. Not in a critical way at all, but more just thinking, why is it that we sort of have, except in very rare cases, a sense of what the timeline for grief and and for the the commemoration of death has to look like? We don't really give people a lot of room to say, you know, I'm not ready for this yet. And maybe I won't be ready for it until six months down the road. Will you be my people then? You know, if I if I am ready for you then, will you show up in these numbers to mourn this loss and to think about this life? But we we really do understand how to say, you know, you ran a marathon and so buy yourself a new dress or some ice cream. Either one of those things is fine. We just have more flexibility because we practice that economic exchange constantly. And it I think it keeps all of our relationships at this really shallow level. Well, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking that human connection is fulfilling because it's risky, right? Right. The depth of joy we gain from finding a partner or having a child or you know, having a close friendship or relationship is directly in proportionate to the risk of losing that person or having your heart broken or having something tragic happen. You cannot have one without the other. And the the lie we've all been sold is that the access to a transaction, to an economic exchange, to a purchase, gives us all the joy without the mirror of that risk. And it's a lie because you cannot have the height of that joy without the depth of that risk. And so buying a new dress isn't very risky, and it also isn't that joyful. It's not absent of happiness. I would not sit here and lie to you and say that Every purchase I've made is a shallow exchange that never brought me any happiness. That's not true. I love products. I love recommending products. I believe that you can make purchases that can really improve your life. But it can't improve your life in the way that human connection can because it doesn't carry any of that risk. It's just you you cannot have one without the other. And that's why it feels shallow. Yeah, it's artificial. And it's... Because it gives us a false sense of control. And control isn't happiness. Control over the outcome is not joy. That's what I think they try to tell us. And I think that is, you know, I think that's caught up in the lie of the attention economy. It's like, oh, look, you can you can participate in this space in which you have total control over what you like and what you post. And we will give you this environment where you feel 
in control and there's a real transactional nature to the quote-unquote relationships in which you are participating on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or Snapchat or TikTok or whatever the heck you're on. But it's a lie. (laughs) It's a lie, and you see it in the despondency and the despair present in younger generations that have been participating in the attention economy since they've had attention to give. Um, You see that in all manner of American culture and global life. So, and I think what she does so well is chip away at that and saying, opting out is not a great option because you still have attention to give. And so let's think about where we give our attention and where we can place ourselves in context instead of thinking participating in this contextless environment gives us total control. Yeah, and it's not all a lie. There are genuine connections that can form Mm -hmm. in those spaces. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear this so much when you talk to people who have children with severe disabilities that often connecting over the Internet with people going through the same thing is incredibly life-giving. And so, again, what I appreciate about her book is not like, shut down all the machines. It is more like understand what this does when we allow it to overtake our sensibilities. Mm-hmm. I, I'm reading this book about the the body um, that I'm going to talk about as much as you talk about these truths, I think, Sarah. Um, <laughs> and, and part of that is because it's similarly long. It takes me a long time to read even a little bit because I find myself really wanting to think about it. The language of anatomy has always been hard for me, so I have to really focus. But I was reading about our brains last night before bed, and I never knew this. This might be just common knowledge that I never knew. But he talks about how our brains are constantly giving us a perception that is one-fifth of a second ahead of what's actually happening in front of us. Yes. Wait, hold on. Where did I learn this? Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. You really should read Blake Crouch's novels. You would love them. But he, I think they talk about this in Recursion. They're basically like quantum fiction, kind of. Because this book plays with the idea of memory and, yeah, basically that really what we're always doing is participating in our brain's memory of what is happening. It's really messed up. It makes my brain hurt to think about it. But my brain isn't hurting. My brain is hurting at the millisecond delay of what I just learned. Yes. And and so also, we don't understand how memory works at all. And it's much less like a filing cabinet where you have like these coherent mm-hmm. stories mm-hmm. that go together in a drawer. And it's more like tiny little pieces of information that sometimes connect and sometimes don't. He talks about this experiment where a group of people were told that very early in their lives, like as children, they like horrifically abused other people. And what? it was not true at all. And people started confessing to it. That's not a good experiment. That's a very unethical experiment. Yes, it was very unethical. But it shows how much, how susceptible our memories are to manipulation, how susceptible our brains are. So the point of me bringing all this up is that our brains already have a degree of artificiality for us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, They're already mm -hmm. creating some of our environment, the way we see color, the way that we sense sound and odor. 
there there is already a degree of manipulation of that going on physiologically inside us in ways we don't understand well enough to manipulate. So then when you put yourself in the context of our increasingly digital society, and not just digital, but our increasingly artificial society. You know, I was talking to my friend Susan about this and how it kind of feels like we're in Las Vegas all the time because everything's temperature and light controlled. Everything is becoming more and more preset to like what is maximally comfortable for us. And we just keep cutting off connections to what is real and living more and more and more inside these heads of ours that we don't completely understand. That's the thing to resist. It's totally Wally, man. I think about that movie all the time. You know, with the where they're all floating in their little chairs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That totally what that reminds me of. Yeah, I mean there there are a ton. I mean I think this is part of why fiction really does have an important spot because it can mm-hmm. help us zoom out in that way. But we are living in science fiction in a lot of ways, and it doesn't mean drop out of it. She highlights, Jenny O'Dell highlights in this book in great detail how every experiment of dropping out has gone really bad. <laughs> so, yeah. it's, so you know, don't go join a commune in the woods. It, that's not going to work out either. <laughs> Human dynamics and the desire for power and control find their way into any environment. Mm-hmm. It's just being more aware of what's happening. I found a quote from Recursion. I have to read it. It says, because memory is everything. Physically speaking, a memory is nothing but a specific combination of neurons firing together, a symphony of neural activity. But in actuality, it's the filter between us and reality. You think you're tasting this wine, hearing the words I'm saying in the present, but there's no such thing. The neural impulses from your taste buds and your ears get transmitted to your brain, which processes them and dumps them into your working memory. So by the time you know you're experiencing something, it's already in the past, already a memory. He shrugs. Time is an illusion, a construct made out of human memory. There's no such thing as the past, the present, or the future. It's all happening now. I love it. I think that's probably the right note to end on. (laughs) (laughs) Poor y'all. This is such such an intense episode. Let's just go, like, take a beat. (laughs) I don't think we're ready to, like, write off cookie cake celebrations just yet. No, no. No, no. I'm not. You can pry that cookie cake out of my cold, dead capitalistic hands. There are lots of things that survive this discussion. But it's an it's a fascinating book. I listened to the audiobook, which I really enjoyed. So if you wade into this book, uh, send us an email and let us know how it's going for you. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. This is a bonus episode that we're just releasing into the feed. But if you want the bonus episode of The Nuance Life every month, go check us out at Patreon. We will be back in your ears on Friday over at Paint Soup Politics or back here next Wednesday. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces The Nuance Life. Elise Knapp is our managing director. The Nuance Life is listener-supported. Go to patreon.com slash thenuancelife. For $5 each month, you'll receive an entire bonus episode of The Nuance Life. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Dylan Garvin is the composer and performer of our ad music. For more information about The Nuance Life and to connect with us through our weekly email, visit pantsuitpoliticsshow.com.